Father, we just thank you, Father. We worship you, Lord. Yes, Lord, for your kindness, for your tenderness, for your faithfulness, Lord, for your constant presence in our lives. Even though we deny you, Lord, we've been unfaithful to you. could never be unfaithful to us because you could not deny yourself. That's what your word says. And this morning, we just want to come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, even as we meditate upon your word, pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts. You and you alone have the words of life. And therefore, I pray, Lord, you would quicken us, quicken me, animate me, O Lord, speak through me, use me as a vessel, and sanctify us by your word. And prepare us for the days ahead. And even as we receive your word by faith, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Anoint us to that end. Even in the speaking and the hearing of this word. We thank you, we praise you. For in Jesus' name, Amen. have been looking at uh, prayer and uh, that one prayer which really, really um, kind of became my my... Constant uh, repetition is, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. That's what I've been doing, practicing. It's an easy thing to do, no. It's not very difficult to say that, of course. But if it comes to pass, then really, that is the difficult thing, right? But regardless, you know, just keep praying that and you'll see the word God working in our lives. I just wanted to talk about that this morning. And even as I was meditating upon those three words, Thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. So we'll look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse uh, 8 to 10 and then we will uh, jump in. Do not be like the Gentiles, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. But pray then like this, verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will. Your will. See, uh, we've been looking at uh, the story of uh, the two sons, the elder one and the younger one. The first guy says, I will, but he will not. And the second guy says, I will not, but he wills, ultimately. And we looked at the what was the will of God in that situation. If you Turn to Matthew chapter 21 and the ESV, uh, Dr. Richard, verse 28 and 29. It says, um, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind. That's what it is, to change. So what was the will of God is to change his mind, the way he thinks. And then, of course, uh, the other people don't, uh, that's the, he's talking about referring to the Pharisees and the tax collectors. And if you turn to, sorry, Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, if you turn to the same chapter, and uh, verse 32, it says, uh, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe in him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even though you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds. And believe in him. So what the problem with the Pharisees was they had a, a mind which had lost its ability to change. Okay. 
So therefore, they could not do the will of God. So therefore, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is a constant cry from every authentic pulpit, wherever you go, right? Wherever there is an authentic servant of God, and they are all around the world, and that one constant cry, week after week, and study after study, will be, change the way you think. Man firao. Okay, that is what the Hindi will say, right? Change your mind, change the way you think. In other words, change your mind, is the first act, and keep on changing your mind. Right? Until your life aligns with God's life, or rather, your ways aligns with God's ways, and your thoughts align with God's thoughts. Right? That is the that is the ultimate aim, and and you'll see the. I will. I will just want to show you the connection between the changing of mind and the will of God. But before we go there, we'll look at Isaiah fifty-five verses six to nine. Uh, it says, um, you can "Go back to NKJV." You know. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. And I believe God is really near this, these days. He's allowed these situations to happen so that we will seek him. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, the way he thinks. 23.7 of Proverbs will say, as a man thinketh, so is he. Let him return to the Lord. That is essentially what we call as repentance. Turn to the Lord. For he will have mercy on him. That means, you see, the, the way he says, let him return to the Lord. In other words, in your mind, acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Return to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he will have what? Mercy on him. And to our God. In other words, don't have any other God other than me. For he will abundantly Pardon. And then it goes on to say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are high than the earth, so are my ways than your ways. See, the heavens are high than the earth. That's exactly the reason why when we are born again, it says, he transported us, literally, right? Uh, when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he was raised and he ascended and he seated at the right hand of the Father, right? Far above every principality, every power and every ruler, etc., etc. And at the right hand of the Father. And when we are born again, he raised us up together with him and he seated us together with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Right? That is the reason why Colossians will say, if you have been raised up with Jesus Christ, Set your minds and set your hearts on things above and not things on the earth. Why? That's exactly what he says. Verse 9 of uh, this place for uh, of, of Isaiah chapter 55. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts uh, than your thoughts. And this is a constant everyday process of changing the way we think and aligning ourselves to the way God thinks. And that is... When we actually know the will of God. The will of God is for us, is for us to repent and keep on repenting. If you, if you can turn to, uh, finally this verse, connection between the will, the will of God and the, and, and the, and the changing of your thinking. If you turn to Romans chapter 12 in the NIV, uh, verses 1 and 2, we'll, we, we know this very well, but, okay, what does it say? Therefore I urge you brothers in the way of, in view of God's mercy, Right, uh, He will have mercy on us and He will abundantly pardon. 
right? So after he has pardoned us and we have received the mercy from God to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship and verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will. You see that? The only way you will be able to test and approve God's will is by having a renewed mind. So suddenly, let's say, you ask God, what, Lord, what is your will for my life? First he says, you know what? Change your thinking. Unless and until you change the way you think and align your ways and your thoughts to my ways, even if I tell you the will of God, you will run. Because there are three aspects of it. The good, pleasing and the perfect will of God. Okay. So, what is the will of God for my life? Change the way you think. It's a process. There's no quick formula in the kingdom of God. It's just, it's a process of knowing and it's slowly. It is like uh, Peter when, we, when he was praying, he says, the entrance of your word brings light. That's what he was saying. It's a, it's a, it's a verse in Psalm 119. Actually, the ESV will, will use the word. It says, the unfolding of your word brings light. You know? I think, uh, I think Sundar Krishna was actually giving this example. You know, if you go to a sari shop, the first time I bought a sari for my wife was for her engagement. Okay, so you go to Chandana Brothers, right? So what what do they do? They take the sari and they unfold it. First of all, they'll give you coffee. Huh? I don't know why they do that, so that you are relaxed. Okay, and they start unfolding the sari like that. Okay, I looked at all the saris as a boy. This is awesome, no? And then you know they after they unfold your sari, they also unfold your wallet. So both things happen. So this is, do you see the sari and say, boy, this is beautiful. That's exactly what God does. He starts unfolding his plan for our life slowly. He doesn't do it in one day. Okay. Slowly, 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 slowly he unfolds and unfolds. Because if he shows it in one day, you will say, you'll run for your life. And, but even as he unfolds it step by step, step by step, step by step, you will understand at one point and say, yeah, Lord, I know what's happening. Now, that's exactly what happened to Joseph, right? Uh, finally, he says, I know you guys meant it for harm. But God God turned it around for good because he was able to see the whole unfolding of the will of God in his life. But only one thing he said, you know what? His attitude was, here I am, Lord. Okay, I'm available. Okay, I'm available. In other words, I'm willing to change the way I think. If there be first a willing mind. You see? If there be first a willing mind. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the best of the land. Alright? So, so that changed the way we think, my dear brothers and sisters, of course, today. Right? So, so that is the reason why our constant prayer is what? Your name, your kingdom, your will. That's the order. Your name, your kingdom, your will. Turned again back to <clears throat> Numbers chapter 6, sorry, uh, not Numbers chapter 6, uh, Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 if I'm right. Yeah. In this manner therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the first part. That your name be hallowed in my life. Your name, Lord. That when they see that, that you are a believer, that they, you they, you know that there is something different about him. See, that is how Jesus lived. And that is how when he died, 
Even in his death, he was hallowing God's name. He, the vindication of the, of the name of God happened to Jesus, even when he was dying on the cross. How did he do that? If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 33 and look at verse 5 and 5 to 7, look at this is, this is the name of God. 34, sorry. Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 to 7. Whenever I type it, I type Exodus chapter 33, okay? But I know it is 34. Anyways, Exodus chapter 34, that is what we call as autocorrection, alright? Now the Lord descended, descended in the, in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. What is the name of the Lord? The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. In goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty. No, I, I actually, in fact, when I was uh, uh, doing a small, I think, uh, some, some verse in Proverbs which talked about the name, and I showed this verse to the children, okay? In my school. When I showed this verse to the children in my school, the, the question they automatically had was, how can God say he punishes and then how can he forgive? I mean, the child can understand. It's, it's interesting. They looked, they looked at us. God said that he, he's good. And how is he saying that he's going to punish? Hey, no brainer this. That is the reason why you need to have a mind of a child, an attitude of a child and you will know. Okay. It's interesting, okay, keeping mercy for thousands, because I say, what I do is, every time I, you know, I, uh, I do a study in the verse, I want to teach the gospel to them in some way or the other, okay, that you are, just because you are in a Christian school, it doesn't mean that you, that you're going to be born again, automatically become a Christian, you should come to the point and you should be convicted of the Holy Spirit that you are a sinner. So every time, whatever study, somehow I want to bring to that point where I say, you know what, you did this right, and then I'll say, at the end of the study, how many of you are sinners? Everybody will raise their hand. Okay, fine. Till the point that you're truly convicted in your heart that you're a sinner. Okay, keep on teaching the word. Anyway, so keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, by no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is the name of the Lord. There is the goodness of God and the severity of God. Both are combined in God. If you'll see, you'll see seven aspects of, obviously. If there is no seven, you'll get seven, okay? Uh, always. Uh, uh, the seven aspects of the name of God. And in this, he says, this is the name of God. And when we say, Lord, hallowed be your name, we are saying, Lord, we want to uphold your mercy, your graciousness, your kindness, and we also want to uphold your ten, your, your truth, your righteousness, and your holiness. We say, what is that? El, uh, what is that? Yahweh Ire, the Lord my provider. Yahweh Rafa, the Lord my healer. Yahweh uh, Nisi, the Lord my banner. So these are all the good words of the good names of God. Where we experience His deliverance, we experience His healing, we experience His provision, etc., etc., etc. But there is also El Shaddai. What is El Shaddai? The Lord God, Lord God Almighty, walk thou before me and be thou blameless. I am the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, walk thou before me and be thou blameless. Yahweh Tzidakenu, the Lord my righteousness, I am a righteous God. 
I'm just not righteous. I'm holy, holy, holy. That's exactly what he's, he, he uh, when Isaiah looks at the temple, uh, when he goes into the temple of God, he sees this vision and he sees the, is the incredible holiness of God. And the moment he says, he sees that, he says, woe is me. For I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. You know why? Because in the name of God, there is both the goodness of God and the severity of God. And both have to be vindicated. When we say, hallowed be your name, O Lord, in my life, Lord. Let your kindness be be there and let your truth be there. Let me not ever compromise on the truth. But never also let me not compromise on your goodness and your kindness. Because I, I experienced that in my own life. And both these things have to go hand in hand, hand in hand. That is the gospel. That is the way of the cross. That is where God vindicated. If you turn with me to Psalm 85, if I'm right, Psalm 86, verse 10, Psalm 86, verse 10 and 11. Am I right? Yes. Oh, sorry, sorry. 80, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. 85 verses 10 and uh, 85 verse 10 and 11. Oh my goodness, how did I forget that? Yeah, yes, 85 verse 10 and 11. Mercy and truth met each other. Righteousness and peace have kissed. If that happens, you know what happens? Truth shall spring forth from out of the earth. Where? This earthen vessel. Where mercy and truth have met, where righteousness and peace have kissed, truth shall spring out of the earth. And righteousness shall look down from the heavens. You know, is, is it, is it interesting? Truth shall spring from the earth. And you say, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. And you know what it says? Lord says, okay, fine. I'm going to clothe you with right. As if righteousness is a person. Everything is given a personality over here, isn't it? So, how do we vindicate the name of God? How do we say, Lord, uh, let your name be hallowed when we uphold both these two things in our lives? And we as believers, we should never forget that it's it's incumbent upon us and God is more serious with us than to the people who do not know God. And you, you should n- never ever come to a point in your life where you are casual. That's the reason why I like what Tim Keller said once. He says, he says co- compromise is the besetting sin of encouragers. <laughs> Compromise is a besetting sin of encouragers. You know who is the son of encouragement? Bar Nabas. He would always, he is known for his encouragement, but whenever you have to confront sin, he will say, no, 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 let somebody else do it. But Paul was the other, on the other hand, he had both mercy and truth in his life. He would never, ever, ever compromise on sin. So even if Peter were to stumble, he would confront him. Thank God for that. Okay. So we as believers, we should, we should understand that how do we, how do we, how do we do this? So let me give you a few examples from the old covenant to understand how we should be careful as to how to hallow God's name in our lives. And how is it tied with repentance? Turn with me to Numbers chapter 20 and verse 12. And this is just keep it in NKJV. Now let's, let me just give you a context over here. Uh, Moses, the the children of Israel are traveling. This is after God pronounces judgment over their lives that they are not going to enter enter into the promised land because they goofed up and now they keep on wandering and wandering and wandering and even as they wander, they want water now. Okay. And now they they go to Moses and Moses gets exasperated now and he says, Lord, water. And God says, speak to the rock. And you know the story. He Instead of speaking to the rock, what does he do? He strikes the rock. 
Now, this is interesting. Turn now, that is the context over here. Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. Now, water flows, everything is over. But you know what? Moses and Aaron are summoned by God. And this is exactly what God speaks to Moses and Aaron. Say, this is what he says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me. To what? Hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. What does it mean? How did you not hallow me? If Moses and Aaron, when you struck the rock, instead of speaking to the rock, how did you not hallow me? First time you struck the rock, fine. Water flowed because I asked you to strike. The second time I asked you to speak. But why Why am I taking it so seriously in that I am going to pronounce a judgment over your life and saying, Moses, you are not going to enter into the promised land. Lord, at that one point, why, what, what was that one thing that Moses did which... We have to be really, really careful of that costed him from entering into the land of promise. What, what, what was that one thing? He was supposed to what? Speak to the rock. What did he do? He smote the rock which was already struck before. Okay, now let me, let me give you what is happening over here. Turn, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 and then I'll go to another verse. All drank the same spiritual ring. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. In other words, Christ only dies once, not twice. And whenever you try to strike Christ twice, what are you doing? According to Numbers chapter 20 verse 12. You are dishonoring my name. You are not hallowing my name. So how do we, how does that happen in the new covenant? How, how should we as new covenant believers take this warning seriously? How do we apply this in our own lives? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. This will tell us exactly what it is. These are all familiar verses. And by the way, Hebrews is a, is, is, is a book which is full of warnings. And I, I, I believe we should as believers Constantly keep meditating upon that. Look at what it says. Uh, verse 4 onwards. Chapter 6 and verse 4 onwards. Okay. 4 to 6, Dr. Richard. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of the Lord, word of God and have, and the powers of the age to come. They have enjoyed all these privileges. And if you look at the entire Con, uh, the context of the of the of the Hebrews uh, book of Hebrews, he always talks about the one one example he keeps on alluding to is the uh, wanderings of the Israel in the wilderness. Okay, and then it says verse six: If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. Why? Since they crucify. Read that word again. Again, for themselves the Son of God. And put him to an open shame. So in other words, one of the things that we have to be really, really careful of is to be, have to be sensitive to sin. And sensitive to the fact that we have to constantly repenting. If I am not able to repent, then there is a warning sign. Warning sign. 12, Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 16, if I am right. Yes, it is verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, and he says, next verse, 
For you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance even though he diligently sought with tears. That means he lost the ability to change. Okay. Understand that? And who, who has got the ability to dishonor God's name? We. That's what he tells David. He said, David, because of your act, you gave occasion to the Enemies of God to blaspheme. So you know what you are saying? Lord, in my life, let me never ever take sin lightly. Never. Never, Lord. Never. And if I have done it, one of the things that I, I want to do is, Lord, I want to repent. I want to know where I have gone wrong. I want to examine myself. It's not a morbid, uh, what do you say, um, uh, self-examination, this attitude of, oh, Constantly condemning yourself. No, 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 no. It's a fear of God. No, I was, I was, I was just, when I was preparing in the morning, Sister Elsa put a few books there in the bookends. No? One bookend and the other bookend. The last book, if you look at it, after you go back, you can see, it, the book is talking about the fear of God. I, I just, my eyes just uh, fell on that. It says, unlocking the Bible something. I said, you know, it's very interesting, right? In the, in the middle of lockdown, we have to unlock the Bible. That's how God, God did it for us, no? In the midst of lockdown, he said, unlock the Bible. And I just picked up the book and I was looking at the preface and I was looking at uh, the introduction of the author. Now, this author was a, when he was a young believer, now a young pastor, he was called to pastor a church in somewhere in the United States. And that particular church, they invited an evangelist and they had four days of fantastic revival. Okay. The service was was fantastic. The Holy Spirit came and then they started enjoying. They started laughing in the spirit and all those manifestations happened. And he was not questioning those manifestations. He said, you know what? Instead of now moving on in the relationship with the Lord, these guys started concentrating on the gift. So the next day, the Lord prompted me to speak upon the fear of God. So I went, because one of the manifestations of the fear of God, the spirit of the fear of God was upon him, and he delighted in the fear of God, it says in Isaiah chapter 11. So he was, he went to the pulpit and he started uh, preaching about the fear of God, and he poured his heart out as to how, when the Holy Spirit comes, one thing that happens is that there is a reverential fear that comes comes into our lives. That is how, that is how when we, we know that we are a people who have been really, really, truly baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the next day when he went back to the service, the senior pastor of the church, he stands on the pulpit and he starts correcting and undoing whatever this guy has preached. By quoting verses like, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Etc. And they mistook the spirit of fear with the fear of God. That's exactly what happens in the church. When the fear of God is gone, then you know that you are not hallowing the name of God. Then there's reverence for God which is lost. This is very, very important for us to never take the name of... What does it mean to not to take the name of God in vain? No, Shawshank Redemption, no? That guy says two things. We'll give you, we'll give you the Bible and the belt. And one thing I will not tolerate is blasphemy. And that fellow is the most blasphemous person. It is not, what does, what does it mean not to take the name of the Lord God in vain? In your attitude, if you are not hallowing the name of God. That God is a God of truths. And the God is a God of grace. 
And why does God give grace? So that we can come up to speed with the truth of the word of God in our lives. And we all fall short. That is repentance. We say, Lord, we fall short. God, give me the grace so that I can come up to speed with your truth. So that your name will be vindicated in my life. Not lowering the standards, as I say. You know, what is grace mark? We have a total different definition of grace mark. What is grace mark? Are you this fellow paid, failed, poor fellow. Kidna hai tumara mark? 30. Okay, from this year onwards, 30 is a pass mark. What did you do? Lowered the standard. Instead of taking extra classes for him, and ensuring that uh, you do your homework through the, through the week, what do you do? Lower the standard. That is the reason why he says, even if you relax a small of these commandments, and if you teach others, you will be called what? The least <laughs> in the kingdom of heaven. Understand these things, my dear brothers. The word of God, the truth of God, how do we vindicate the name of the Lord in our lives? We hold both these two, and you think it's, it's possible in our own strength? Absolutely not. That is the reason why we just fall on the grace of God and say, Lord, teach me your ways. Show me your paths. And let me continuously align my thinking with your thinking, Lord. Keep on changing, changing the way I think. So that I may prove what the good God, what is God's will is. The good, the pleasing and the perfect will of God. Understand that. So if you turn with me now again to one more verse which I want to show you before we go to the next thought. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 22. It says onwards. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my (laughs) holy name's sake which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. What did they, what did, what happened to them? God said, you go into my, into my promised land and you make my promised land as truly the land of promise. But what did you do? Instead of going into my promised land and make my, making my promised land a land of promise from where the truth of God and the grace of God and the message of God can go to the, uh, to the ends of the world. What you did instead of making other nations look up to you, you started looking up to others and you wanted to become like men, like, like them. You started holding on to their Value systems, etc. Like even Israel, now, here, after they've come back to the land, what do, what do they want to do? Do they want to uphold the truth and the mercy and the righteousness of God? No, they want, no, no, no. They, do, they want to turn Israel into the next Hong Kong in the Middle East. That's their whole agenda. Hong Kong of the Middle East. The venture capitalists of the Middle East, of the world. The Nobel laureates of the world. All things come from there, by the way. Okay. But one thing you should not speak, don't speak about Christ. And you should see the kind of blasphemous things the orthodox rabbis talk about Christ. It's unbelievable. You don't even want to hear. You know, one of the things that questions that one of the guys, Eli Wiesel, by the way, Eli Wiesel was a Holocaust survivor. Okay. And Eli Wiesel was, um, he came to a Jewish uh, congregation after the after the Holocaust of the Second World War was over, and he was giving a talk about as to how he survived the Holocaust. He was talking about the Nazis and he was talking about so many other things. And then this man of God goes to him. You know, he's a Jewish convert. Okay, he's become a uh, follower of Jesus Christ. You know what, who I'm talking about. And he goes up to Eli Wiesel and says, "What do you think about God's uh, 
promises in the book of Deuteronomy when he said that if you do not obey my commandments, I am going to visit your iniquity. What do you think about that? You know what this guy says? I refuse to consider that. I refuse to consider. Isn't it interesting? Let his blood be upon us and our children. <sighs> what a pronouncement over their lives. And they don't want to do it. And that's what he says. Therefore, the O house of Israel, thus says the Lord. And what, what did God, what did God do? When he saw that these people made the promised land into an absolute mess, he threw them out. He sent them into captivity. And when he went into captivity, what, how did they defame or profane God's name when all the enemies of the Israelites saw this? These are God's people and look at what God is doing to him. These are all God's people and look at what God is doing to them. And immediately God said, you know what? They started profaning my holy name. And this is what he says. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations, wherever you went. And verse 23, and I will sanctify my great name, which have been, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord, when I'm hallowed in you, before their eyes. How do, you, how do how does he do that? Goes on. For I will take you from among the nations. Gather you out of all the countries. Bring you into your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you. What is that water? The word of God. And I shall and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. And then I will give you a new heart. I will put my new spirit within you. I will take away the heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Why do I do this? Because I had to vindicate my holy name. And how did God do that? How did he make this possible? By allowing his son to die on the cross. Where mercy and truth kissed each other. Righteousness and peace have met each other. And when we look at the finished work of Jesus. And we continuously believe that. And continuously walk in that. You know what we do? We hallow his name. Okay, Hallowed be, by, be thy name. Second is what? Thy kingdom come. Okay, what is that one verse which I thought was very important? What is the kingdom of God? The definition and what of what is the kingdom? We know it very well. Anybody can guess it? 1417, Romans. What is it? What it is not and what it is. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Abbah. Yesterday so many questions on eating and drinking. <laughs> Can I eat this? Can I eat that? And after the uh, after the question and answer was, we were getting live live responses. No, we will continue to eat that. Okay, no problem. Okay, you don't have to be worried about uh, uh, eating and drinking per se. See, the point is that is not your worry. Okay, if I say a certain thing, some some people get offended. But unfortunately, so many people from the time they get up. What should, I, what, what, I, what should I cook it for the evening? I mean, they just, uh, they have this integration in their mind, no? They have, to, they have to think, what should I cook for the evening? Oh, today is uh, Saturday. I can't eat sambar. I have to have fish. You know, this, is, this is what the whole life is revolving around that. I'm not, see, you should eat healthy. Don't misunderstand me. But that is not our aim. Okay. 
That is the reason why, you know, one of the things that disciplines that we ask children of God to practice is the discipline of fasting. Denying yourself food and drink. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? And what shall we put on? Roti, kapda, makan, gadi, or yebi. Pata nahi isko kya bolte na? Madhya. See that you see this is this is this is God is not talking about that. He says it is not about eating and drinking, but what is it? It is about righteousness. It is peace. And joy in the Holy Spirit. What is eating and drinking? Whatever is pertaining to this life. You know, there's a th- saying in Telugu, Koti Vidyalu, Koti Korake. Ante, all the degrees that you have acquired through the wilderness, eh, eh, not through the wilderness, through the, to the universities. <laughs> okay. Okay. All the degrees that you have acquired and all the skills that you have acquired in the universities is for your stomach. What do you tell this to my professor? He will be upset. Nonsense. That is not the reason why I go, went to university. That is the least of my worries, Vijay. My, my, my worry is not whether, whether I'll have food on my table tomorrow. My worry is, worry is if my paper will be accepted or not. Food and drink is not my worry. My worry is if my research paper will be accepted or not in the next conference. That is your food and drink. You don't even realize that. Whatever concerns this life and whatever satisfies you is your eating and drinking. You may not be worried about eating and drinking so much. But you may be worried about your next pay pack, your next promotion. That is your food. In other words, whatever you look for, your satisfaction other than God is your righteousness. Eating and drinking is your righteousness maybe. Whatever that eating and drinking is. That is the reason why it says, blessed are you. Excuse me. Complete. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness. In in other words, I want to eat righteousness. I want to drink righteousness. What is that which satisfies me is my righteousness. You know, you ask people who are absolutely successful, are you worried about tomorrow's food? No, he says, no, 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 no. I am not worried about tomorrow's food. I am worried about the next deal. You ask Rafa Nadal, is he worried about tomorrow whether he'll have food on his table? No. I'm not worried about tomorrow's food on the table. I'm worried about the next Grand Slam. Djokovic is right behind my back. And and Federer is just one step ahead of me. And I'm 19, this fellow is 17 and this fellow is 20. I have to overtake him. That's his food and drink. You know, remember that uh, World Cup ad? Sleep cricket, eat cricket, drink cricket. What is your satisfaction? This is your satisfaction. That is your righteousness. And he says, that is not what it is. That is not your righteousness. There is a something else. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is the kingdom of God. And if you are only looking at this life, you are of all the people, what? Most miserable. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 22. In the nice, fantastic translation called NLT. Okay. And let us read from verses 1 to 13. Okay. Okay. The message came to me concerning Jerusalem. What is happening? Now, this is Jerusalem. Actually, it says the valley of vision. Just put this in first verse in uh, NKJV and then we'll proceed. 
It's very interesting how it says. The burden against the valley of vision. Jerusalem is supposed to be the valley of vision. That means there should be, they were supposed to be visionaries. Right? Where there is no vision, people cast all restraint. 29-18. Easy to remember. 2 times 9, 18. 29-18. Okay, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Where there is no revelation, kya baat hai? The people cast off restraint, vision or revelation. KJ will use the word vision. But happy is he who keeps the law. NLT is interesting. Okay. NLT? Is it NLT? No. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is happy. Restraints are left, are are gone. That's the reason why where there is no vision, people perish. Now, one of the things that we also have to ask ourselves, what is your vision? If you ask any athlete, if you ask Rafa, he will tell you, my vision is to be the greatest number of Grand Slams ever. I want to be the GOAT. What is GOAT? Greatest of all time. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, GOAT and pride go together. Okay, he wants, he wants to be the greatest of all time. So, what does he do? That is my vision. So, what does he do? He restrains himself. Do you know that? What do you eat, Rafa? Healthy. If you ask Djokovic, he goes one step ahead. Gluten-free diet. You know that, right? Gluten-free diet. That means even my, that's what pastor was telling yesterday. If you are running a race, <laughs> even a little bit of ice cream, one gram, P.V. Sindhu, you know, you know what his, what her coach took off from her hand before her match? Two things, ice cream, sweet and mobile phone. And she ended up with the silver medal. I think he allowed Laddu. If that also would have taken, she would have got, got the gold medal. You see? Restraints are gone. You know what? Because there's no vision. What is your vision? You know, one of the things you need to ask yourself all the time, constantly, what is your vision for your life? Like you, they ask you, right, when you go to HR interview? Yes, Anna? Where do you see yourself in five years' time? Constant. And then you will, self-dabba will come out. Sir, you look at the degrees that I've obtained. I know this project is going on. After this project, this, 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 this. AVP, VP, CO. That is your trajectory in five years time. Abba? <laughs> see, see, this is, this is how we think about this worldly stuff. No. You have a vision for your world, for your life. But when it comes to, comes to God, no vision. And if God delays for some reason in your life, you get offended. <laughs> you know that, no? You see, so look at look at what he says. If you, if you, if, you, if you, in fact, if, in fact, um, you go back to Isaiah chapter twenty-two. Let us put it in. Um, uh, actually, we can put it in, in NKJV itself, okay? Because I wrote it down. I just wanted to show some parts of it. What the burden against the valley of vision? What ails you now? What ails you? What ails you now? You that you have all gone up to the housetops. 
you who are full of noise, a tumultuous city, a joyous city, your slain men are not slain with the sword, not dead in battle. No, your men are slain, but they not did not die in battle. Oh, they did not die while fighting. You know what? They were they died of pleasure. We'll come. We'll look at that later on. Let's let's move on. All your rulers have fled together. They are captured by the archers. They are found in you. They all who are found in you are bound together. They have fled from afar. Therefore, I said, look away from me. I will weep bitterly. Do not labor to comfort me because of the plundering of the daughter of my people is the burden of Isaiah. He doesn't want to see this plight. Has this happened? No, it has still not happened. He's prophesying in the days of Hezekiah. By the way, nothing of this has happened. That is the reason why we need seers in our lives. We need people who will tell us, you know what, Vijay, you should make these decisions right now. The way I'm calculating, this is where you'll end up. In your life. We need visionaries. We need, what visionary means? Visionary means, oh, it's not a big congregation. No, that is not visionary, Baba. Where will you end up with God in a few years' time? And it's happening in the best of times, by the way. You know, uh, Isaiah prophesied, he started prophesying from the time Uzziah, then I think it's Jotham, then it's uh, uh, Ahaz, and then it's Hezekiah. That's the bookends of Isaiah, if you will. Okay? He starts with Uzziah, in the year King Uzziah died. He saw the high, Lord high and lifted up. And when Hezekiah comes, you know what he says? You know what you, do? you, you did, Hezekiah? You opened up your treasuries to the Babylonians, the Babylonians are going to come and they are going to capture you and plunder you. That is how the book of, the first part at least of the book of Isaiah ends. The first 39 chapters. And he says, you know what? I'm looking at this. I'm looking at the plundering. I'm looking at my own city. They've lost the vision for their lives. There's no vision. There's no spiritual vision. They do not know where they're going. Where, what do they want to be in God is not even clear to them. And he says, you know what? I want to look away from this please. And don't bother to comfort me. I want to weep bitterly. Why? What is the attitude? Let's see. For it is a day of trouble and treading down and perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision. The irony, you visionaries are getting destroyed, breaking down the walls and the crying to the mountain. Elam bore the quiver, that is by Babylon, with chariots of men and horsemen and Kir uncovered the shield. Again, another, another city in Babylon. It goes on. And it shall come to pass that your choicest valleys shall be full of chariots. And the horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gate. He removed the protection of Judah. You looked in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. And then you know what happens? Next verse. You also saw the damage of the city of David. It was great. And you gathered together the waters and the pool and the lower pool. You numbered the houses of Jerusalem. And the houses you broke down to fortify the walls. So you know what you did? You see, you saw all this. And you know what you did? You destroyed all the houses and you built some walls around. Some kind of a semblance of a defense. And what did you do? But what did what? What did the Lord want to see? Look at what verse 11. You also made a reservoir, etc. And verse 12 it says, And in that day, the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and for mourning, for repentance. For baldness and for girding with sackcloth. Did he find it? No. Then it goes on. But instead, joy and gladness, slaying oxen, killing sheep, eating meat and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. 
That's their attitude. You know why? Because Jerusalem lacked visionaries. Jerusalem lacked people or rather eldership or leadership who could see the true condition of the daughters of their people. You see, that's exactly what is happening even. Even during the pandemic, after the pandemic is over, we will build. I don't know God's people. We will build higher. You know why? Because it's lost vision. Why is there no vision? Because there are no visionaries. Godly visionaries. What we call as seers. The prophetic word is missing. Look at what it says about those visionaries in Isaiah 56 verse 9 onwards. Isaiah 56 nice, verse 9 onwards. All you beasts of the field come to devour all you beasts in the forest. Who are these? Beasts. Who are these beasts? He's gonna, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna uh, zero in on as to who these beasts are. <laughs> what are, who are his beasts? Verse 10. His watchmen. <laughs> they are the beasts. They are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Oh my goodness, you should see my street. It is full of dogs. Stray dogs. Okay, it recognizes me and my bike. They recognize me. Okay. They recognize all the other familiar people in the colony. One day, my, uh, you know, one of our uh, volunteers who works in our school, she came along with her husband. Oh, the racket! You should see the way they started barking. And that poor lady scared, like me. Okay, once I'm not scared, I hate them, by the way. And I came, I said, etc. No, these are stray dogs which are barking. And you know what he's saying? You fellows, your dogs are, I don't know what they are, maybe, what is the most dumb dog which is, which, which can be easily bribed? Anybody knows? Labrador? Oh yeah. <laughs> it can be easily bribed. It will not even bark. And he says, your watchmen are dumb. Dogs are beasts. They cannot bark. How? Why? Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Lazy fellows. They are lazy to study the word of God. They are lazy to hear from God. And they have no vision for their lives nor for their congregation. And goes on. Yes, they are greedy dogs. Which never have enough. And what are they? They are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone to his own gain from his own territory. You see, everything, everyone, my, 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 my. That is the reason why Paul loved Timothy. You know what he said? You will have no other person like him. I never found in my entire ministry a guy like Timothy who will naturally care for your, for your goodness. And who will have a burden for you. Verse 12. Come, one says, I will bring wine. <laughs> and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will also be like today. And much more abundant. And Paul ex- 
explains this attitude in the new covenant. If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 32. Look at what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 32. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. <laughs> you see that? What did he do? He was fighting with beasts at Ephesus. What advantage is this to me? If the dead do not rise. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That is their attitude. You know why? There was no vision. Okay. There is no vision. You see, you need to have a vision for your life. Okay, we can say vision, we can put it, I mean, it's it's an unfolding thing, by the way. And what is vision? Okay, what is vision? It's it's simple. I want to obey God. This is eternal life. What is it? To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So, kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not why... Let's look at last verse before we go to the, what is actually righteousness. 12 and 18. 12, uh, Luke chapter 12 verse 18 onwards. Luke chapter 12 verse 18 onwards. And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns, build greater. And there I will store up my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, 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 you have many goods laid for yourselves. Many years. Take your ease. You know, NLT will say, relax. Eat. Drink and be merry. Okay, you might say, Vijay, what is this Vijay? You're talking about this during the time of pandemic and so many people are struggling for food. Has God allowed this? To prove to us, according to Deuteronomy chapter 8, I have hungered you. I have caused you to suffer. To prove to you what is, to test you and to see what is in your own heart and to, and I fed you with Manna, to prove to you that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So what is kingdom of God? It is not eating and drinking. Okay, not eating and drinking. Turn with me to First Peter chapter 4, verses 1, 2 and 3. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And then, that he no longer should live the rest of the or rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent sufficient time <laughs> in the past living living in, in in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness and lusts and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolaters. Spent sufficient time eating and drinking. 40 years non-stop the internet. 40 years. <laughs> you see, it is not about eating and drinking. What is it about? But It is about what? Righteousness. And we, we defined eating and drinking, right? Anything which is satisfying you, any, anything, anything which is satisfying you other than God. So what is righteousness? Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And what is righteousness? To have a right standing with God is what righteousness is, ultimately. To have a right relationship with God. And saying, Lord, you are my everything. 
In you, I find my everything. In you, there is satisfaction. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness. He is our righteousness. Having a relationship to the Father, through, to the Father through Jesus Christ is our righteousness. There's no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's the way of righteousness. What is the way of righteousness? The way of righteousness is, you know what? I do not find satisfaction in any other thing, and I can never have satisfaction other than in God. But if I have to have a right standing with God, I should reach God in His way. And what is His way? The way of the cross. The way of His Son. I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. And all other things I laid down. That is the way of righteousness. Second, in righteousness there is a walk of righteousness. And what is the walk, walk of righteousness? Agreeing with God. Now, in every step of the way. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? That's exactly what it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5. Look at what it says. By faith, you know, because we have righteousness by faith. It says, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken them for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. How did he please God? But he, because he walked with God. He agreed with God in every area of his life. That is the reason why it says in verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. So there is a way of righteousness. Second, there is a work of righteousness. What is that work? We know it, we know it very well. We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And what is that one work? The work of obedience. The work that pleases God. 11.7 of Hebrews. We know this again very well. By But Noah, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. In other words, for your life, Build your life in the most holy faith. Each one of us. We are all building. Okay. One life which we build, which will stand the test of God's judgment. We are going to receive a kingdom which is not going to be shaken and everything that can be shaken will be, sh- will be shaken in our lives. Everything. And therefore, work the works of... In other words, build our life in the way God shows us. And we've been looking at how we build it over and over again. But today I don't want to concentrate so much on that. And there is a work of righteousness. Third, there is a war of righteousness. There's a way of righteousness. Okay. There's a work of... There's a walk of righteousness. There is a work of righteousness. And fourth thing is the war of righteousness. What is the war of righteousness? We'll show, we'll show that. Romans chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. Do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are the ones whose, uh, ones, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you 
yet obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And then verse 18. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness, leading to holiness. Meaning what? You want to take every thought captive, everything which members, meaning what? My hands, not my hands first. My ears, my eyes, my tongue, my hands and my feet. I want to offer it to God as instruments of righteousness. I want to be absolutely ruthless with my flesh and with it and its sin in my life. That is what we call as war of righteousness. How do I call it a war of righteousness? Psalm 106 and you know where I am going. Verse 28 to 31. They joined themselves also to Baal of Pure and ate sacrifices made to the dead. And it says, Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds and the plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood and intervened and the plague was taught and it was what? Accounted to him for righteousness to all generations evermore. You see, there's a war. Fighting. So you have... The way of righteousness, you have the walk of righteousness, you have works of righteousness, and you have the war of righteousness. I want to dwell, tell too much on this. Look at it in several contexts. Last part. First. First, what is it? Hallowed be thy name. Second, thy kingdom come. Third, thy will be done. You know, we stood at, we looked at so many aspects of the will of God. And I was thinking about all these things. And I said, if I were to write one definition for the will of God, how do I define the will of God? If I were to write for myself the definition of the will of God. Remember, Jesus, and the, the only thing, the picture that came to my mind was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay. What does it do? He goes to the father and he says, Lord, if it is your will, take it away. But let not my will, but yours be done. How many times does he go? Three times. And what does, what is his answer from God? He gets an answer something. What is the answer? Yes or no? No. <laughs> right? You know what? I, I, then I wrote it down. I said, the, what is the will of God? What, how do I know? That I have surrendered myself to the will of God. I have got the ability to take no for an answer from God. That is how I know that I have surrendered myself to the will of God. No for an answer. Can you take a no? No, there is another level. When you say no to God when he wants to bless you. That is another level. That is Moses level. What is Moses' level? Moses, get out of the way. Finish this for us. I will start with you. And what does he say? No. <laughs> that is a different level. So we are not going to talk, we will not talk about that level, but we will talk about the other thing. Can we take a no from God? Can we take a no from God? It's a spirit. You know, sometimes when I'm in the church office, uh, I stay I don't ha- forget to eat a snack because I'm doing, I'm start- studying, I'm st- reading something. So I have my lunch and between my lunch and my dinner, uh, it's almost like f- six hours or seven hours and it's already passed. 
and I am hungry. Okay, I didn't know it, but I'm I'm hungry. So I go home, right? And uh, I just go and say I'm just sitting next to Jason, and she says, I start speaking to her, and she says, "You're smelling." I said, "What do you mean? Your breath smells." I said, "What is that? The smell of hunger." I said, "Oh, you know my smell." I like that smell, no, notwithstanding, but uh, you know, she doesn't like it, obviously, because it's, I don't like it myself. So, so she says, let me feed you something. And so we have uh, dinner and then that's how the smell becomes better. Even you can smell it. You can smell when you deny yourself something. Okay. There's a, there's another attitude which smells. I want to look at that. When you, when you, when God says no to you, If you accept it willingly, sweet smell. If you do not accept it, some other smell. You want to know that smell? That is where I want to take us to today. Turn to First Kings chapter 21. A guy who has no, <laughs> is never disciplined to take a no from God. Now think about this, my dear brothers and sisters. Can you take a no from God is the question. First of all, can you take a no from your mother and father? No, you're not going to have it. And the way you throw a tantrum when you're a baby. Kinda me the padi monkey tricks only. Have you seen that? And then you know what parents say, oh, yo, 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 he's a small baby. Re. All babies throw a tantrum. When he grows bigger, he will become better. No, it, it only becomes a better tantrum. It's camouflaged in a lot of what we call as Raymond's maybe, I don't know. Yeah? The tantrum has changed its its manifestation, but it's still a tantrum. You see, the ability to take a no from God is a fantastic attitude. Paul went to Jesus for how many times? Take this away, take this away, take this away three times. God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. He had the ability to take no from God. Jesus went to God three times. No, no, no. He had the ability to take no. Moses went to God three times. No, no, no. A man who can say no to God, not a problem. He can still accept a no from God. Do you have the ability to say no? Well, there's one guy who had no ability to say no. And he stinks. Let me show it to you. And it came to pass after these things that Nabo the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel. Next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden. Vineyard into a vegetable garden. Garden. That is a sambar eater I say. Okay. Because it is near, next to my house, and for it, I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you. It's worth in money. But Naboth is a man who knows the law. What does he say? You never sell your inheritance. According to Leviticus chapter 22, don't have to turn there. Go, go, go on. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. And then, Ahab went to his house. What? Sullen. That's the word. Sar. 
it's the, the word in actually the word in hebrew is very interesting sar it becomes sar i think from there that's what, that's what uh, even uh, english adapted sar bitter sar and dis, and displeased because the word which nabo the desolate had spoken to him by the way this word sullen if you read the entire bible it is used only three times and all three times they have that's interesting one word <laughs> can be used only with one man and three times so ahab went to the into his house and displeased and displeased because the of because of the word which naboth the jezreelite had spoken to him for he said i will not go you, i will not give you the inheritance of my fathers and he laid down on his bed turned away his face and would not eat food now it's exactly the reason why when when you know i was thinking about it yeah when i go home and i don't eat food I stink. Look at the next verse. This is interesting, okay? This is interesting. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said to him, "Why is your spirit so Ah, spirit ka matlab kya hai in in Hebrew? Ruach. Ruach ka matlab kya hai? Breath. Are, kya ho rahe? You smell a little different today. You didn't eat food. And that's exactly what I remembered when I looked at it and said, oh yeah, this is exactly what my wife says, no? You smell, <laughs> smell of hunger. You smell of a spirit of sullenness. Sar. The word actually translated as rebellious. Okay. The Hebrew word is sarar. <laughs> sar comes from the Hebrew word sarar. You know where it occurs for the first time in the Bible? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Sarar, verses 18 to 21. Excuse me, everybody, look at the screen now. If a man has a stubborn and a rebellious son, that is Sarar, who will not obey the voice of his father and the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed him. In other words, this guy is incorrigible. It's, it's, he's, he's got a deep-rooted spirit of rebellion inside of him. I, I told you, right? See, if you don't deal it with when you're a when you're a small baby, your rebellion only changes its manifestation. I was telling this uh, story to my children when they were uh, when they were in school. Okay, I said when I went to my my amama's house. My amama means my my. My party's house in Malayalam, the Tamil, or my daddy's house, no? nani's, nani's house, my grandmother's house. She had two small Ashoka trees. Okay, two small Ashoka trees, right? Ashoka trees, by the way, they don't grow for the first initial three or four years, they don't grow very fast. Okay, the last time when I went there, it, it was not there. I said, what happened to the Ashoka trees? They're gone. I think they cut it off because of that uh, hood hood storm, no? Hood came and uprooted the Ashoka. But that's okay. So I'll, what is the problem with the Ashoka tree? The Ashoka tree has a problem. The problem, and I'm not a problem, it's, it's got this attitude. For the first few years, it will not grow. What you have to do is, just because it's not growing, you say, how long should I water it? Keep on watering it. Water, 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 water. And after a while, suddenly within the next one year, it shoots up. Okay. So I was telling this story to my children, no? I said there were two tender Ashoka trees in my home. Very tender. 
they could speak to each other. Okay. And one Ashoka tree was bent like this. I mean, actually both were bent. And uh, they told the gardener, 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 one Ashoka tree said to the gardener, 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 I'm bent, can you make me straight? So the gardener said, okay, fine, Ashoka, you're so tender, let me make you straight. So he took a small string and make it, made it straight like that and tied it to the wall, to the pole near the wall. And it started paining. It said, oh, gardener, I'm, it's paining, please, uh, can you just relax the tension in the string? And the gardener said, you hey, know no, what, it's, a, it's only a string, okay, just get used to it, then you'll go straight. All my children were looking at me like that. Okay. And the other other Ashoka tree was also bent. And the, and the Ashoka tree said, Gardener, Gardener, I am bent. Can you make me straight too, please? One Ashoka obeyed. The other, the other Ashoka said, okay, fine. The gardener took a string. He tied the string and he put it to the wall and made it straight and it started paining. And he said, oh, Gardener, it is paining, 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 paining. No, please remove the string or lessen the tension. Hey, otherwise you'll go bent. Doesn't matter, please. Cut it off. It'll grow bent. Doesn't matter. Cut it off. So he cut it off. And after a few years, both were looking the same. For a few years. Because they don't grow easily. Suddenly after one year, they started shooting up. Growing like this. One was growing like this. And the other was going straight. And even as one was going straight, it looked at the electric pole and it was going to hit the live wire. And it screamed at the gardener and he said, Gardener, gardener, can you make me straight now? I'm going to hit the pole. All your, you're also children, you're looking at me with tension in your eyes. That's good. I got their attention, no? The gardener said, what do I do? Get that string, gardener, get that string. So the gardener got the string. And he tied it to the wall. And he tried to Put pressure on the string and the string thup, broke. What broke? String broke. And the sugar tree was even more tense. Now gardener, do whatever it takes. Get that chain. Get that chain. So the gardener brought the chain. Straightened the tree and pulled it and made it straight and tied it to the wall. And it started screeching with pain. It said, oh, gardener, it's paining, it's paining, it's paining. Did I not tell you when you were a small baby? Ask you to get your life straightened up. Oh, gardener, don't scold me like this now. But I'm not able to bear the pain. Bear it. And then suddenly the wind came. Pop! What broke? Not the chain. The tree. And you should see all the children, no? Like this, to my face. I said, if you don't get straightened like a, like a child when you're a child, when you grow up, no chain can make you straight. It'll only break you more. Do you want to get straight? Yes, 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 yes. Let us teach our children to say no. 
when they are young. That is the reason why. Train up a child when he is young. So that when he grows up, he will not depart from it. Why do so many of us as adults find it so painful to change now? You know why? <laughs> when we are kids. You know, there's a, there's a saying in Telugu. Mokkai vanganidi, mranai vanguna. Mokka means a small tender plant. If you can't bend it when it's a plant, can you can it bend it? Can it get bent when it's a tree? Absolutely not. You see, the ability to say no, we have to inculcate it right from our childhood. Then you'll say, Brother Vijay, <laughs> is it too late for me? No, thank God. It's not. It's not, it's not. But you need more surrender. But let us look at the spirit now. If a man has a stubborn and a rebellious son, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed. That is the reason why it says in the book of Proverbs, a man who is often rebuked and will not change, you know what will happen? He will suddenly be destroyed and without remedy. Suddenly. The chains will not break. He will break. Boy, let us get the attitude of this. That's the reason I said, no, the the discipline of being disciplined itself is a discipline. Kya baat hai? It's like a, it's, I can copyright that. The discipline of being disciplined itself is a discipline. Can you be disciplined? It's a discipline. <laughs> you don't understand that. The guy who can get the maximum pressure gets more pressure. Do you know that? In your office, if you are being given the maximum work, it's a commendation. Don't complain. If you are not getting work, then complain. <laughs> are you? Nobody is caring me? What else? Lousy worker I am. Who is your go-to, who is your boss's go-to guy in your office? Think about that, my dear brothers and sisters. Of course, today, I got used to my brothers, no? All brothers only I see, no? This time today, it's a new day. If a man has a stubborn and a rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and who will then, who when they have chastened them will not heed them. And you know what happens to this guy? Then his father and his mother shall hold of him, take hold of him, bring him to the elders of the city, to the gate of the city. And they shall say to the elders of this city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He's a sarar. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Look at what you should do with this kid. You want to take the old covenant seriously, Baba? Look at what it says. Next verse. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you and all Israel shall hear and fear. But what happens to the guy who constantly says no and he is in the position of authority now? You know what he does? Go back now. To First Kings. Chapter 21. Verse 5. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen? <laughs> You're smelling. <laughs> Smell of stench, boss. Why have you not eaten food? He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelites, 
and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he said, no. Look at a guy who has grown up, who is sulking like that. And a king. Can you imagine? If I'm a father in the home, okay, I'm upset with my wife. No, I'm not going to eat my food. Not like, mm, no. How it? <laughs> I mean, I just always think about it. If I'm like that in in my home, what will be? What will my children think about me? dad ko? You see, it's exactly what this guy. He's gone. You know why? This guy, he's having the spirit of rebellion inside of him because he never ever took correction. Let me show you. Come to one chapter before. First Kings chapter 20. First Kings chapter 20. Just, I forgot to put it on my Bible. First Kings chapter 20. <clears throat> and verse, I'll tell you the verse just before. Alright, uh, verse, verse 35 onwards, okay? Now let me give you the context, okay? The context is this, Ben Haddad is coming hmm, to fight Israel and he sends one entourage and he says, pay up. So this fellow pays up. And then he goes and sends another thing and says, pay up more. And in this now he's, he doesn't know what to do. So one prophet comes and says, fight. With whom shall you fight? With the young men. Who is going to lead the fight? You. He says me. Yeah, you. And you'll win. So these guys go and start fighting and they defeat. Now ben is fleeing. Now a lot of fighting happens. Now ben says, you know what, let us go back to the kings now. With our... You know, with this things on our heads, with turbans on our heads, as if we have repented. So, Ben Hadad comes back to Ahab. The story, I'm just putting the story in small context. And Ahab looks at him and he says, oh, this fellow has repented, poor fellow. And he hugs him and he becomes his friend. This is what happens when you are not having the the discipline of fighting your flesh. Okay, You become friends with your flesh. Finally, that's exactly what happens. He doesn't destroy Ben Hadad. Then a man of God, Appears. This is how he appears. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophet said to his neighbor by the word of the Lord, strike me please. I mean, what strange things the prophets have to do, no? <laughs> Give me one slap on your on my face. And he says, now, then he says, then he said to them, because you have, uh, strike me and the man of, and the man refused to strike. Think about it, okay? Strike me. You are a prophet, how can I strike you? Strike me. No, I will not. Then he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from there, the lion shall come and eat you. Shucks, man. All this to teach a lesson to a wicked king called Ahab. To kill a prophet for a wicked king. That's exactly what God tells, right? I went to my vineyard. I made a vineyard. I put a wine press. 
And I gave it to the husbandman. And I asked for fruit. So what did I send? I sent my prophets. What did they do to the prophet? They beat one, stoned one, and killed the other. That's exactly what is happening. Repeatedly the words of God are coming to him. One word after another, and word another word. One guy is killed because of your disobedience. And look at what happens. Then, this, then he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as, you, as soon as you depart from me, the lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, the lion found him and killed him. And then, and he found another man. And he said to him, strike me please. <laughs> he learned his lesson. He said, okay, you want a strike? One shot he gave. Pot! So the man struck him, inflicting a wound. Okay. I can't preach it about Hosea, but I can preach about this guy. Look at what he says. Then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road. And disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. Now as the king passed by, no, think about it. Is the king aware that one guy died because of his, of his disobedience? No, 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 no. Do you know how many people, how many people have to be slain and to be martyred so that the Bible could reach you? Do you know? Are you aware? How many people have to literally risk risk their lives so that the word of God can reach you? You're not aware at all. And look at the mercy of God, my dear brothers. Some prophets, they stoned. Some, they harmed. And some, they killed. And what did God do? He said, come on, let's get rid of these fellows. No, he sent more like them. It says in Matthew chapter 21. He sent more like them. Look at the mercy of God. And then, when they did the same to the prophets, what did he do? He said, no, let me send my son. They will show him respect. You know what they did? They looked at that and said, you know what? This guy is a threat to our kingdom. Look at him. When he's coming and preaching the word of God, everybody's going after him. We are losing our membership. We want to hold fast to our congregation. So what do they do? will kill this fellow and get his inheritance. That's exactly what they did to Jesus. You know why? Because they refused to change. They were bent upon their rebellious ways. They refused to change. Now as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out to the midst of the battle. And there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man, if by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. Now think about this. What is silver standing standing for? It stands for redemption, the price of redemption. Your life for my life, in other words. And then it goes on. While your servant was busy here and there, I like that. <laughs> like pastor was saying, you know, what are we busy? We are busy here and there. We are not at the post where God wants us to be. Here and there. He was gone. Then the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. 
like pastor said i was said who how do you teach a fellow swimming and i was looking at everybody i said push him into the water and he pushed me into the water exactly what has happened here so shall your judgment be you yourself had decided it and he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes and the king of israel recognized him as one of the prophets and look at what how does how it ends and he said to him thus says the lord because you let slip out of your hand a man whom i appointed to utter destruction therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people and the king of israel went of went to his house hello 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 how did he go swalken that's a spirit of rebellion my dear brothers they will not come down to their face and say lord have mercy upon me that's a spirit i told you three times the word sullen is used in the bible all three with with they have you know why he can't take a no from god make matters worse next incident happens let's go back to first kings chapter 21 now verse 6 He said to her, "Because I spoke to Nabo the Jezreelite, and he said, 'Give me your vineyard for money, or else, I, if it pleases, I will give you another vineyard for it.' And he answered, 'I will not give you my vineyard.' And next, then Jezebel his wife said to him, 'You now exercise, you now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food. Let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite.' How do you get rid of the spirit of rebellion, like the way you take your son and beat him up? Now, what is he going to do?" instead of killing yourself in other words dealing with the spirit of rebellion inside of you you are going to deal with the messenger look at how it ends very ironical and she wrote letters in ahab's name sealed them with a seal sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with naboth she wrote in the letter saying proclaim a fast and seat naboth with high honor among the people and then and seat two men scoundrels you know what the word for scoundrel is sons of belial in other words they are available everywhere i mean <laughs> talent is dime a dozen scoundrel talent basically the see two men scoundrels before him to bear witness against me or him saying you have blasphemed god and the king then take him out and stone him that he may instead of killing the rebel inside of you what are you going to do with the prophet now you're going to stone him and kill him you know what the ultimate mercy of god is god sends elijah and he proclaims a judgment on this guy let's read that go to first kings chapter 21 and read from verse 17 <coughs> Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, "Arise, go down to meet Ahab." And Elijah is always used to meeting Ahab, no problem at all. Okay, go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, "Thus says the Lord: Have you murdered, and have you also taken possession?" and you shall speak to him saying thus says the lord in the place where dogs lick the blood of naboth dogs shall lick your blood even yours so ahab said to elijah have you found me oh my can you imagine this guy 
That's exactly the reason why Paul tells the Galatians, have I not become your enemy because I've become, I've spoken the truth to you? If people speak the truth into your life, are they your enemies? That's what children think. Parents are their enemies. <laughs> you're always doing this to me. Always you're saying, no, look at all my other friends. They can, but you can't. That's exactly what God tells you. They can, you can't. I remember Paul Washer. The last advice that was given to him by the great, you know whose mentor, whose, whose mentor was? Why, why revival tarries? What is his name? Leonard Ravenhill was his, was his mentor. You know what he told, uh, Paul Washer, he said, Paul, one advice. Everybody can, but you can't. What was that? God will give you understanding. Think about what I said. Everybody else can, but you can't. That's exactly, you know, remember the story of Alexander? When his father was asking him not to play with the kids outside. And he said, why are you not allowing me to do it? And he called him up to his terrace and he showed him the kingdoms of this of, of the entire, he says, you know, you have to rule this. This is your destiny. All of them can, but you can't because you have a total different destiny. And what is our destiny? To be priests of the most holy God one day. To serve him one day. And to, in order for us to achieve that, we need constantly people who will speak the truth into our life. And what do we do? We consider them as our Enemies. What is Elijah? The one who turns the hearts of the children back to the fathers and turns the hearts of the fathers back to the children. That's exactly what he told. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah and they did exactly what they were supposed to do with him. They killed him. They chopped off his head. You know why? He never minced words. You brood of vipers. He said both through the people and to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He didn't show any huh, respect for the Pharisees and no respect for the other, for the normal crowd. He was, his, his message was the same throughout. Have you found me, O oh my enemy? And he answered, I have found you. I have found you. It is not, I have found you. God has found you. You think that it is, if, whatever you do, you can hide it from God. God saw everything. Because you have sold yourself to the e- to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And then go on. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity. I will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house in the house of Jeroboam, the son of Mehbath, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahia, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, saying, the dog shall eat Jezebel by the, way, the, by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat what? Whoever belongs to Ahab and dies. And the next verse. But there was no one like Ahab. Look at this. But there was no one like Ahab. Who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And he bare very abominably. In following idols. According to all that the Amorites had done. Whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And what is what do you expect? So it was when Ahab heard these words. He... Wow. Torah's clothes. Put on sackcloth. Fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. 
Next verse. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in the days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Do you think Ahab changed his ways? No. It's only a part-time repentance. There's part-time repentance also. Very next chapter, you know. He wants to go go to war at Ramoth Gilead and you know the story. He still wants people to lie to him. He will never accept correction. You know why? Because he never chose to accept no for an answer. No for an answer. No for an answer. Therefore, Titus chapter 2 in the NIV. Let's go to that famous, famous chapter for that 375th time if I'm right. And if I'm wrong, prove me the number of times we spoke this word. Okay, okay, no problem, no? Maybe you should, Sam can write an algorithm. <laughs> He'll search through all the messages and see Titus chapter 2 verse 11 onwards. Thank you so much, Dr. Richard. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say what? No. Everybody say? No. To ungodliness and worldly passions. Meaning, you know, you have the ability to accept a no from God. That is how you say, thy will be done. Can you say no? If I say no? What if your pastor says no? Now is not the time. I will find another church. Where the pa- I will search all the churches in Hyderabad till I find a pastor who will say yes. You know what will happen? It will become Ezekiel chapter 14. What does it say? If you go to a prophet with an idol in your heart, I will deceive that prophet and the prophet doesn't himself know that he is deceived. And I will answer you according to the idol in your heart. So do you have the ability to say no? Say no. It says, it teaches us to say no. It's interesting. In order to say no, you should be having the ability to be taught to say no. See, I I believe that's exactly what uh, Daniel's parents taught Daniel. This is no, no, no. This is yes, yes, yes. Don't trust any stranger. No to stranger. Come on, mom. Do you think I'm so dumb? Don't you think I can, I can, uh, uh, that, that I can uh, recognize a stranger? You know, tell the children, no? They act very smart. No? When the stranger comes to, comes to you, you should say no. Come on, mom. Come on. Do you think I can, I don't, I'm so dumb? You think I can't recognize a stranger? How does a stranger look? He looks like this. No, that is not how the stranger looks, Baba. If a stranger looks like this, you will run. You know how the stranger will come? Flattery. Flattery, flattery, my dear brothers. That's how it ends, bro. Devil's advocate. Vanity. Vanity. My favorite sin, says the devil. You know what? If you do not have the ability to say no, 
you are setting yourself up to flattery. You know what a flatterer does? He casts a net to your feet and he traps you and you don't even know that you are trapped. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and navel to your bones. So it says, it teaches us to say, no. No to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. That's what it teaches. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us to say no to worldly passions. And it teaches us to say how to live self-controlled lives. Self-control. God has given us not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind, of self-control. Upright and godly lives in this present age. And then verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is how we say, thy will be done in my life, Lord. So let's go to 717, no? 717, our favorite, I think we should put that formula, 717 formula. What is 717? Dr. Luke will show us on the screen. I don't even have to say, I just have to say the numbers and he will say. It's like, you know, prescription, no? Is used to prescriptions. John 717, okay. If anyone chooses to do God's will, kya baat hai? NKJV bro. This is ESV or something else. If anyone wills to do his will, kya baat hai? What's your will? Your will. What's your will? Your will. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. Whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. My dear brothers and sisters, learn to accept a no. You may not despise the chastening of the Lord. Not be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges. You think? That is the reason why it says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I have learned your judgments. It was good that I was afflicted, it says. In Psalm 190. It was good. That is the reason why David was called the man after God's own heart. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And then, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? The father ignores the neighbor's son. Father loves his own son and he will not ignore him. He will not ignore you. But if you are without chastening, of which all of you have become partakers, then you are what? You are of the wrong seed. <laughs> Can you imagine being called the wrong seed? It's like the tear. How do you differentiate between the tear and the wheat? They all look the same. Outwardly. Check the fruit. What is the fruit? Next verse. Furthermore, yeah. Furthermore, we have human fathers who corrected us and who paid respect, etc. And then verse 10 and 11. For 
they was yeah verse ten for they indeed for a few days chastened us, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. And then go on. Now no chastening seems present. Seems chastening. Uh, be joyful for the present, but painful. I told you know the young the two young plants right. That example, keep it in your mind for the rest of your life. It is painful initially. That pain, so that you have pleasure forever. C.S. Lewis wrote the book, no problem of pain. I couldn't understand it anyway. So, but painful. Nevertheless, after it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's a training process. And you will have to Learn to say no like Daniel. One day God, Daniel's mother said no to this, no to this, no to this, yes to this. And one day, when the opportunity came for him to make a decision, you know what he said? He said, no. No. And that gave us Daniel. Twelve chapters. It started with that, my dear brothers. With Daniel saying no, because he was taught to say no. He was taught to accept a no from God. You know why? He said, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. So, hallowed be thy name. Uh, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And so this morning, you cannot stand up, no? Whoever is here in the house of God and all of those who are there in your houses, maybe you can all stand also and say, Lord, we want to surrender ourselves to your will in our lives. We want to learn to take a no from God. Learn to take a no from our parents. Learn to take a no from our elders. Learn to take a no from our spiritual leaders. Learn to take a no from our bosses at office. Learn to take a no from our professors and universities. Learn to take a no from our teachers and schools. You know what I mean when I say learning to take a no. You're saying no to sin, but yes to God. No to your own will, but yes to God's will. You're surrendering yourself. Lord, rid us of the spirit of Ahab. Jesus, have mercy upon us. Enable us to learn to say no to sin, to ungodliness and to worldly passions. Grant us the grace to live self-controlled and godly lives in this present age. But you said, Lord, that you give grace only to the humble, but you resist the proud. And therefore this morning we humble ourselves before you. And we say once again, as we've been exhorted through the week, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this morning, we confess that once again from our lips. And we say, Lord, yes, Lord, hallowed be thy name. Uh, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We thank you, we praise you. And even as we go about these days, O Lord, I pray, Father, that you would continue to minister through your word, through your spirit, even in these days, and prepare us 
for the days ahead. We thank you, Father. We praise you. We worship you. For you, for, we give you all glory, all honor, and all praise. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with all of us. For in Jesus' name, amen, amen.